P A P E R R A D I O Paper You're listening to Paper Radio. This is our first episode for our AM or non-fiction channel, Tone Deaf by Benjamin Law. When my dad sees an English word in the newspaper he doesn't understand, he points to it and asks us for the definition. He'll say it a few times to himself, rolling the word in his mouth and chewing on it, until the meaning and the sound collide, soften and stick to his brain like gum. Likewise, when my mum learns a new word from television or conversation, she writes it down in a notebook. If the word is particularly tricky, she asks me to spell and define it, then scrawls it down onto scrap paper and sticky tapes it to the wall to help her remember its meaning and spelling, the way foreign language students do, in the lead-up to exams. Even now, the word diarrhoea is stuck to the dining room wall. In this way, every migrant family is the same. Children learn from their parents. Parents learn from their children. It's all very educational. Controversially, though, Mum insists she first learned the word cunt from me. I don't remember the exact circumstances clearly enough to verify the claim, but I wouldn't be surprised if it were true. Mum says that afterwards, as often seems to happen when you've learned a new word or concept, she inexplicably started seeing and hearing it everywhere. The next night on SBS, she told me, there was this European movie with a woman screaming at her husband because she found out he was having an affair. She yelled to him, You only like her because her c*** smells like eggplant. That's what it said in the subtitles. And suddenly I realised that I knew what this word was. Cunt. It was the same word you told me not to use at parent-teacher meetings. She paused to think. I wonder whether I would have worked out its meaning if I hadn't heard it from you. Smells like eggplant. Yes, yes, I think I would have. Apparently I'd given her strict instructions at the time not to use the word amongst friends or even with her gynaecologist. She understood but has since embarked on a lifelong covert love affair with the word. The lawn mowing man who screwed her over? She knows just the word to use. The drunken New Year's revellers who left beer bottles in her yard? There's only one word to describe people like that. In stark contrast to the dedication of my parents, I've become complacent about Cantonese over the years to the extent that I'm now uncertain whether I can lay claim to the language at all. Now and then the same ticker box question comes up in forms and surveys, questionnaires and applications, leaving me confused and anxious. Do you come from a non-English speaking background, it asks? Yes, no. It seems like such a straightforward thing to ask, but my pen always wavers. Eventually, I select either yes or no at random. Looking back, I've probably filled out a 50-50 share of yeses and nos. What is your language background? 
What language do you speak at home? They seem like such simple questions, but they're not. Cantonese is the language predominantly spoken by my parents and the main language spoken in Hong Kong, Macau and southern parts of China. In and of itself, it's one messed up dialect. The audio instructors on my Teach Yourself colloquial Cantonese CDs are more technical and polite about it, referring to it as a tone language. This means the same syllables, pronounced in different pitches, can mean completely different incongruous things. Consider this sentence. Go, 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 go. That older brother there. Go, go. Is taller than. Go, 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 go. That other brother there. Again, that's. Go, 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 go. Go, go. Go, 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 go. Pause, then add another. Go. With a different tone this time. And you're telling the same brother to cross the road. Depending on how you say it. Gao can mean dog or nine, enough or rescue. Mei could mean rice or not yet, flavour or tail. Because of its tonal quality, linguists describe Cantonese as a language that's sung, which might suggest the language is pretty or melodious. But songs can also be terrible and cruel. Think of the late-night moans of the feral cat, the broken wail of the American coyote, or the screeching of the rabies-infested bat. To my ears, Cantonese is not a sung language at all, but a screamed one, a dialect for bickering, exclaiming over scandals, and haggling over meat prices. But hey, who am I to say? My parents speak Cantonese to me, and while I understand most of what they're saying, I'm basically mute when it comes to speaking the language myself. To outsiders, that seems like an odd arrangement, but the analogy I use is music. Everyone understands the language of music, has an innate comprehension of how it works, but not everyone can play it. When it comes to Cantonese, I can understand the music, but I can't replicate it. Cantonese might be a tonal language, but over the years I've become tone deaf. Of the five siblings, Michelle and I are the worst. When friends see our mother talking to Michelle and me in Cantonese, they say how lucky we are to have a secret language, to be able to talk about people right in front of them without their knowing. When Candy, Andrew or Tammy speak in Cantonese, pointing out the girth of someone's ass or the fact that they've tucked their dress into their underwear, Michelle and I will understand and laugh with them. But when we try to speak, we lose words and grimace into space, silently moving our lips as if we've suffered a terrible stroke. Go, go. Man, we'll say, pointing to someone behind his back. Hey, ho. Obese. For my 21st birthday, my boyfriend Scott enrolled me in a short course in Cantonese. It would have been difficult to find. While Mandarin is the language of mainland China, the future gatekeeper of 21st century economics, the sleeping giant, the slumbering dragon, the sneaky Chinaman, Cantonese is considered the obscure and irrelevant poor cousin. 
The only people this Cantonese language course catered for were the children of Hong Kong migrants whose guilt was starting to play heavily on them, or whose grandparents were dying. The lessons took place every week at 8.30am on the top level of an ugly, brown brick, labyrinthine building that smelled as musty as a disused cellar. It was situated on the periphery of a university campus, in a spot that seemed to be bathed in perpetual shadow. On the first morning, I arrived to meet a small group of seven, all of us smiling nervously at one another as we waited for the teacher to arrive. Nearly everyone there was like me, Chinese kids raised in Australia, trying to regain the language they'd lost. You are my people, I thought to myself, privately exhilarated that there were others in the world who shared my inadequacies. I could bond with them. There were exceptions though. Peter was the lone white person, an older gentleman who'd recently begun a romantic relationship with a woman from Macau. Right now, Peter told me, she speaks no English besides yes or no. And I don't speak any Cantonese at all, so that's why I'm here, trying to reach some middle ground so we've got at least some basic communication going on. Their situation baffled me. So how have the two of you communicated up until this point? I asked. Well, he said, I guess you could say we communicate with our bodies. I avoided Peter after that. Two other students also stood apart, a young Eurasian brother and sister duo. Between them, that inherited the high oriental cheekbones of their Chinese mother and the regal Norse forehead and nose of their Scandinavian father. The combination made them obscenely, enviably beautiful. Their hands were manicured, they didn't have paws. Looking at them made you feel as though you were bearing witness to the next stage of human evolution, a stage to which you hadn't been invited. When they weren't studying linguistics, him, or working full-time for an international public relations firm, her, they modelled for television and magazine advertisements. It's more like a hobby, one of them told me. Their international names, Sebastian and Claudia, broadcast loud and clear. We might have been born in Hong Kong, but our parents knew how to name us properly. Their parents had somehow avoided the Chinese tendency to give their kids jumbled, improvised English names like Daffy and Virginia, Nesta and Cornelium. They could understand Cantonese already, as well as Spanish, French and Norwegian, but had enrolled in the Cantonese class to get a proper grasp of the dialect structure, or, as Sebastian described it, the architecture of the thing. I hated him immediately. Our teacher, Linda, was a Hong Kong-born woman in her late 40s, the same age and background as my mother, As a result, I felt acute personal shame every time I let her down in class, which was often. Our first lesson, she asked us to introduce ourselves in whatever Cantonese we already had in our arsenal. Sebastian volunteered first and told us not only his name and the undergraduate degree he was studying, but also about an upcoming holiday in which he'd be flying to Norway to meet his very good friend. It was clear to me that Sebastian meant a boyfriend, 
a boyfriend who, I imagined, modelled for Versace when he wasn't working as a foreign diplomat or training for the Winter Olympics. When it was my turn, I introduced myself and my Chinese name. I said. My tones were all over the place. The statement came off sounding like a question. My teacher asked, peering over her glasses. Hey, I said. My name's spelled yuck, like when you're disgusted by something, but it actually rhymes with book. Linda pursed her lips. I realised I'd been speaking in English when she'd specifically asked us to speak in Cantonese. And I am 21 years old, I added in Cantonese sheepishly. Then, in English, that's all. Yuk, Sebastian said, repeating my Chinese name. Yuk? Yuk? He pulled out a pocket translator. He punched in some buttons, then passed it to Linda. Is this the right Chinese character set? he asked. Almost miraculously, he'd conjured up the character for the first part of my name, the only Chinese script I recognised apart from numbers. Then he said the same character in Mandarin to make sure he was correct. Linda clasped her hands together in delight. My shoulders slumped. As the weeks went on, the verbal and spoken assignment got harder. They reminded me of high school drama examinations, in which poorly performing students had to be prompted for every line before being fouled in front of the class. Some students became flustered and clumsy under the pressure. Lay sum, Linda prompted. Lay sum, repeated the student, a nervously smiling teenager who was the only person worse than me. Um, what's the next bit? Mm sum. Mm sum. The student paused again, biting her lip. She looked towards the rest of us frantically. Um, line? Because the classes were so early, I'd sometimes catch myself falling asleep at the desk. Benjamin, Linda said. When she didn't get a response, she switched to Cantonese and sounded chillingly like my mother. Yuknang, are you awake? Why are you so sleepy all the time? At that, everyone started laughing at me. Sebastian glanced over with cool pity. When I realised my eye was crusted over with sleep, I rubbed. The sleep fell onto the desk in clumps. Nancy, I thought vaguely to myself. That's what sleep is called in Cantonese. Eye shit. At least I knew that. Weeks after the course finished, an advertisement for McDonald's came on the television, featuring Sebastian licking a soft-serve ice cream cone. Oh my god, I said. I called Scott over from the other room. Scott, Scott, this is the Eurasian guy I was talking about. You're going to cream yourself over him. Scott came over. I resent that, he said, before turning his attention to the TV. That's him, I said. The Eurasian dude from the class, that douchebag I was telling you about. It hurt to look at him. Part of me liked to think that because we shared some racial heritage, I might look like Sebastian from some angles. However, watching the advertisement, 
I realised that this would require major facial reconstructive surgery. Here was a person who was a better version of me in every single way, and a self-destructive impulse made me want to gauge Scott's reaction to him. I watched Scott closely after the advertisement finished. Oh, Ben, he's not that great looking, he said. In fact, I think his face is sort of weird and girlish. And just then, with sharp clarity, the Cantonese words for I love you darted into my mind. Nor oi lei. I'm trying to become more disciplined, but my Cantonese is still a joke. Michelle takes the joke further and makes up completely new Cantonese words, creating an indigenous dialect known only to my family. When it's Chinese New Year, my dad and grandma will issue the mandatory New Year's greetings, Sunlin Vailog, and Gung Hei Fa Choi. And Michelle will respond with Chuchin Yatting, a popular brand of instant noodles from Hong Kong. I admire that. She takes Cantonese tones and bastardizes them. If your Cantonese is beyond a joke, you may as well get to the punchline first. It might seem insulting to make a mockery of an entire language, but we only do it because the language has been mocking us for years. A full semester of Cantonese classes had no discernible impact on my vocabulary. Before I left, having failed our final oral assignment, I stole the library's entire collection of Cantonese language CDs and burned them onto my computer. A single volume usually costs hundreds of dollars, but now I have language lessons whenever I need them. When I drive long distances, say to my mother's place, I start the CD lessons from the beginning, saying the phrases over and over until they stick. When I park the car and ring the doorbell, I try to drop the phrases into conversation before I forget them. Excuse me, miss, but Mr. Leung is currently busy, I say in Cantonese. Would you like me to show you his office? Mum pretends to be confused, but she knows exactly what I've been doing. There are other times though, like right now, when I forget the word for office altogether. At times like these, I find myself staring at a blank wall, wishing someone had stuck a note there to remind me how to pronounce it and what it means. You just heard Tone Deaf from Benjamin Law's book, The Family Law. It was read by Benjamin Law with sound design by John Cheer and album illustration from Polly Deadman. If you'd like to hear more from us, visit paperradio.net and subscribe to our podcast.